Welcome back to Very Vintage Podcast. I'm Deborah, And I'm Rachel. And today we are going to be talking about the 2020 accessory that everyone had to have, but nobody really wanted, the face mask. We're not going to be going too far back with the face mask fashion or face mask history. Uh, you started to see, I feel like the most iconic face covering that you see is with the the plagues in the 1400s and that, that plague doctor look. Do you know what I'm talking about, Deborah? I do now, but before we started researching this, I had no idea. I'd seen those pictures, but it didn't occur to me why they dress like that. So there is an amazing YouTuber, Bernadette Banner. I love her. I think she's so funny and so clever, and I could watch her videos all day. And she's extremely thorough on top of it. Oh my gosh, yeah. She's very, very knowledgeable. She goes way back further into, uh, I think it's even past what you would consider vintage. So she's more like 1800s, 1900s, uh, whereas I think you and I trend a little bit more like 1920s and on. Uh, right. So she goes way back further. And in her video, she's got uh, it's about the history of PPE, personal protective equipment. So she goes back and she talks about the initial plagues and stuff in Europe and this plague doctor costume. I've seen people do 2020 takes on them. But essentially, if you don't know what we're talking about, you can Google plague doctor. And it's this grotesque looking mask that's got this goggles and bird beak apparatus. And it's not just to look spooky. It's actually that Back in the day, diseases were thought to be spread by what was called bad air, right? Bad air. Um, because at that point, the scientific advancements weren't there for us to know that there were bacteria and viruses. So back then, they would put on these masks that had these long beaks, and the beaks were filled with herbs. And lavender, I think, to sort of mask the decaying smells, right? Yeah, my understanding was, especially with the bubonic plague, that the, the people who were sick not just the dead, but people who were still actively sick smelled terrible. Plus, I don't know if you've ever heard this before, that if people from the past, like from a really long time ago, got magically transported to the future, they wouldn't be able to handle how loud our world is. There's all these sounds that we sort of take for granted, like the humming of your computer, the sound of an ice maker in a refrigerator, traffic, buzzing lights, things like that. Um, it would just be extremely overwhelming for people from the past who didn't have that. Have you ever heard that? I have. And they would be like, where's the horse manure? Well, and that's that's the flip side of it, is that if we were magically transported into the past, we would be absolutely overcome by the smells. Right, exactly. So horse manure, uh, people maybe not showering as often as we're used to, um, you know, just the especially in places like New York, the garbage situation and just mm -hmm. piling up. I think that's the most shocking thing to me about New York anytime I visited from Chicago is that they don't have alleys in Manhattan. It is. It's shocking. It's absolutely shocking. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, not that I'm thankful for the Chicago fire in 1871, but it did allow our city to rebuild in a way that was more modern. Anyway, so the Plague Doctor, that that's really this, this iconic image. And I was familiar with the Plague Doctor from before just uh, as a high school goth kid and kind of being in that world. I feel like the steampunk kids get really into the goggles and the masks and things like that. So I'd certainly seen it around, but I'd, I'd never known the connection to the Black Death. So interesting. As time goes on, some doctors 
were willing to accept that diseases could spread by um, saliva or by the air. Modern germ theory and the understanding of bacteria and viruses causing diseases didn't really take shape until 1860 with Louis Pasteur's studies. So think pasteurization, that guy. And that's shockingly recent. And then the use of facial coverings to stop the spread of disease took prominence during the Manchurian Plague in 1910, so considerably later. And that was all thanks to the work of a Malaysian doctor named Dr. Wu. So Dr. Wu tried to convince his colleagues that in order to stop spreading the Manchurian Plague, they needed to make sure the droplets of saliva didn't transmit from their mouths. And he was met with severe opposition, mostly from his French colleagues, which they just didn't believe him. And so Mm -hmm. they didn't wear masks. And unfortunately, some of them ended up dying for that miscalculation. So we have Dr. Wu who proposed that this droplet theory. And then as time went on, American medical professionals started becoming legally required to protect their face with masks, especially during the Spanish flu. Part of the reason I was so interested in having this conversation with you today, Deborah, was that I read a book uh, a few weeks back called Pale Rider. This disease started spreading kind of through Europe all over the world, and it ended up being the deadliest pandemic in the history of the world at that time. And so this book, Pale Rider, was written a few years ago, and it was almost eerie reading it because it was like history repeating. Scary. Mm -hmm. The way things were spreading because at the time, you know, right in the middle of a world war. And so people are starting to get sick all through Europe. But countries aren't reporting it because they don't want their enemies knowing that they're starting to get sick. People are continuing to travel as normal. Outbreaks are happening at different ports. South America was absolutely devastated by this. And the reason that it became called Spanish flu was at the time, the Spaniards weren't involved in the war. And so they were the only ones printing news stories and wondering, what is this disease? What is happening? And so they were talking about it in their news, whereas all the other countries were keeping it a big secret. And that's how they got stuck with the name Spanish flu. Oh, that's amazing. So while it was most likely caused somewhere else, the, nobody, you know, they have theories, but it's almost impossible. Same thing with COVID-19 potentially being linked to China. It's really tough to say where it started, but unfortunately, the place that talks about it first is usually who gets blamed. It just makes me think of if, if you knew it, you blew it. <laughs> oh, smelt it, dealt it. Exactly. Oh, gosh. It's ridiculous. I'm sorry. <laughs> Hey, you can definitely cut that out. Nope, that's staying. Um, you need some <laughs> levity, so, especially before what I'm about to tell you. So when I was reading this book, like I always thought that COVID-19 and Spanish flu are very similar. They're both respiratory things, the way they spread, all that. Even how the diseases were politicized really seemed quite similar. But what I didn't realize is just how horrific and devastating the Spanish flu was. Like, I'm, I'm not taking anything away from COVID-19, not at all. I know it's terrible and it can be really tough on people. But Spanish flu, I mean, people were coughing up blood. They would foam at the mouth. It would just sound absolutely bone-chillingly horrifying what people were oh going God. through. And also medicine just wasn't what it was. Uh, I mean, and the craziest part is that wasn't that long ago for us to have made all the advancements that we have. So uh, I know we talk a lot about how we're we love vintage style, but we're really happy that we live in modern times. This is one of those times. Right. I'm so happy to live in the modern world. The interesting thing about Pale Rider, this book, was that they touched on the battles 
of the masks. They touched on how people were kind of fighting about it. And I thought that was so interesting about today, how that really kept happening. During 1918 and 1919, mask wearing was made mandatory in public and protests started to break out around the United States. Does that sound familiar? It sure does. Weren't they fined too? Something like $5 if they didn't wear it? Can you imagine that? Yeah, there were fines for not wearing masks. Mm -hmm. And people were claiming that it was dangerous to their freedom. So it's it's kind of interesting. A hundred years later, with all of the data and science to back it up, and we still have all the same problems happening uh, that happened back then. So they would have anti-mask wearing meetups. They would have just all this stuff. And and it was down to really interesting things like the debate about should kids, are they safer at home or safer in school? And back then, there was a lot of overcrowding, especially in places like New York, in the in the tenements and things like that. So kids were, at that time were safer being in school because they were able to distance better. Uh, there were big arguments and flare-ups uh, with the Catholic Church in South America about holidays. Inevitably, people would gather and then an outbreak would happen. So it's been really interesting to read this book that was written a few years ago about something that happened over 100 years ago. And yet, today, we didn't learn anything. It's all history repeating. We didn't learn a damn thing. No, no, we didn't. It tells you that people just, (laughs) people are stubborn and we really ultimately want to just hold on to as much freedom as we can or the semblance of freedom. Definitely. I I found this quite interesting as we were doing our research is that studies show that in general, men are less likely to wear masks than women. That's interesting. Is it because they feel like bad guys? Maybe. That that was another thing, too, is that in American culture, the only time you really see masks now, uh, medical professionals, but back then it was really like bad guys in movies. That was the only time you would see masks. So there wasn't a good frame of reference in those early 1900s for, for mask wearing. My interests and and your interests lie more in in the fashion aspect of it. So uh, not to make light at all of the situation. However, today we are going to be talking about masks as an accessory. And I really wanted to start with what was fashion like leading up to this? So in 1915, kind of through 1919, there's really this new style emerging. And so I know being part of the vintage community, there's a lot of focus on the 1920s, um, you know, the drop waist flapper gown, cloche hats, strand of pearls, those um, kind of chunky dancing shoes, because uh, women's lingerie was changing at that time, too. So we're starting to move away from corsets and bodices and things like that that mold your body and support it to more like what we're experiencing today, like a traditional bra or kind of undergarments that were more made for physically active women. We're having this transition happen in fashion leading up, so 1915 uh, and, and on. And the first modern bra I read was credited to a woman named Mary Phelps Jacob, which she patented in 1914. So you start to see those traditional bodices begin uh, getting replaced with things that are uh, more natural fabrics, so silks, linens, cottons, and wools. But then you also start to see artificial silk, like rayon, uh, and things like organza, chiffon, which could be cotton, silk, or rayon. Jersey and denim start to slowly make their way into leisure wear, thanks to designers like Coco Chanel. And from there, uh, I found something kind of funny, is that I was reading about all these designers that were popular at this time. And Paul Poray, who we mentioned in the turban wearing episode, he had really started to fade as far as a, a fashion icon, if you will. Partially because styles were changing, but also because of the outbreak of World War I. He'd been drafted, and so he was really taken out 
of the fashion community. And when he returned in 1919, he had many beautiful designs in the new silhouette. And his name wasn't really eliciting the same excitement that it was. But the funny story that I found is that he bumped into Coco Chanel in Paris in the 1920s. And Perret asked her, for whom, madame, do you mourn? Because Coco Chanel was always wearing black. And uh, Chanel had that trademark outfit on. And Chanel replied to him, for you, dear Perret. She was saying she mourned his career. Oh, salty. I know. I know. So I searched high and low for images of fashionable women from 1918 and 1919 wearing masks along with their beautiful garments. And it's surprisingly harder to find than you'd think. I feel like the same couple images pop up all the time. And what I ended up discovering as I was researching is that a lot of these images you see that go viral and get shared on social media of women in masks or people in masks aren't actually from the time of the Spanish flu. So I thought it would be fun to have you take a look at some of these images and just give me your feedback on them. We'll also share all of these on our Instagram at Very Vintage Podcast. Uh, you've probably seen some of these if you're if you're on Facebook, on Reddit, uh, on Instagram. You've probably seen a couple of these uh, images. So we're here today to fact check them because I feel like there's a joke somewhere about a viral image and, you know, a virus. <laughs> I'm going to show you several different pictures of women in different kinds of masks, and then I will give you the actual feedback. So I'm going to have you go to the first one. I want you to describe the first image, and then I'll tell you what's really going on. So what do you see? Okay, so I see two women. I don't know why it takes two women to, to push a baby stroller, but... It's big. It's a big one. Yeah, it's a big-headed baby. Um, No, but they're wearing... We're, they're wearing like serious gas masks, like it's the middle of a war. Is it from the 40s? Yeah, supposedly it's supposed to be from 1918. But if you look at their shoes and even the length of their skirt, you can tell that it's definitely going to be a lot later. Uh, that, that plaid coat that woman's wearing is gorgeous. Uh, so this picture was actually taken closer to 1941, so over 20 years after the Spanish flu struck. And it is uh, some sort of gas test. So a gas mask young mother attends to her child's pram. And it was a surprise gas test in Kingston. So this is credited to um, Getty Images. So uh, we'll, once again, we'll, we'll share it. Um, but you can go look up this, this photo. Um, and I'm going to have you scroll on down to the next one. This one is absolutely wild. Uh, what are you seeing here? Yeah, it's like I don't, it's hard to even understand what I'm looking at. <laughs> Basically, two women looking off into the distance with absolute cones completely like covering their entire face and extending like, a, like at least a foot and a half outwards. And they're really pointy, too. So like these plexiglass pointy cones. And I think exactly. I think the giveaway here in this is the hair, that these images aren't from the Spanish flu. Like the hair just doesn't fit in. Well, just like with the gas mask, like it definitely looked like 1940s hairstyles mm-hmm. to me. But you're, but you're saying these people, like these are being circulated and they're saying that it was from the Spanish flu? Yeah, yeah. So you see these different face covering photos and people will, will attribute them to being, you know, everything on the internet has its own interpretation of the truth, right? Mm-hmm. And so this photo is actually from 1939 in Montreal, Canada. And these face masks, these plastic face protectors, were acting as shields against snowstorms. So to keep the wind and the snow out of your face, it's actually quite brilliant. That's hilarious. I know. I kind of want to make one because we had our first big snow in Chicago. uh, And it's always quite windy here. It would keep your face warm, that's for sure. Yeah. Now, this photo, this is the one that I started seeing right away pop up uh, when masks were starting to be mandated throughout uh, the country. 
And I want you to go ahead and describe for me what you are seeing. Okay. So it's two women walking down the street arm in arm. They both have hats on. And well, see, to me, like, it's again, it's the garments that are giving away the actual date. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, I can just tell that it's a little, it's a little sooner than the 18, than um, 1918. It looks more like, uh, like Titanic mm-hmm. age, you know, which would have been like 1912. Yeah, well, you are dead on. This photo is from 1913. It's these two women walking. And the thought is that they've got these scarf-like masks that are almost affixed to their hats. And that these, the photo description is that the image couldn't really be um, dated for for what it is, but that they are showing ladies' fashions from the 1913. And that these are new veil fashions based on Turkish nose veils. So less about, uh, you know, pandemic related stuff and more about kind of a, a fashion or a cultural thing it does it definitely looks more cultural to me mm-hmm. but it is funny how they're they are kind of seemingly coming from the hats especially the, the one woman it looks to be attached to her hat which is hilarious well and when i saw this photo the first time several months ago i thought oh that's genius i should definitely do that uh some type of a, a face covering the only problem is that i feel like you don't get a close enough fit to your face to really make it effective you'd have to have like a surgical mask underneath there mm-hmm. yeah and the last photo is my absolute favorite. So I saw this one circulating over the summer, uh, and it gave me a really big chuckle. What are you What are you seeing in this photo? Oh, it's hilarious! It's two women facing each other, and they each seem to be in like kind of engulfed in like a clear, like hefty bag or something, like completely to, surrounded until their waist. Yeah. What are your thoughts on dating this one? Hmm. Because you can't really see the hair very well, and for me, that's kind of always the giveaway. I'm looking at the shoes. Mm-hmm. Like early 50s, maybe. Yeah, you got it. 1953 in Philadelphia. And I love those spectator pumps. Yeah, me too. Absolutely adore spectator pumps. And then the other pair of shoes is is like the perfect pair of black pumps, like the right amount of round and pointy toe and like that. Oh, they're just both pairs of shoes are delicious. So these women are actually wearing war surplus gas capes. And they're being worn um, because there is a bunch of low-hanging smog and smoke in Philadelphia uh, because of some sort of freak weather condition in the early 50s. So the photo was taken in November of 1953. So go to our Instagram, check out these photos, uh, and then next time you see them pop up on social media, you will know. So you do see some, uh, one of the other photos that I love, it's a whole family with their like handkerchief masks on and then uh, the one of the family members is holding a cat and the cat has a mask on. <laughs> and some other interesting stuff that I found is I found this really great New York Post article from August of 2020, but they pull out dating advice from 1918. Do share. One of my favorite ads, it shows this tiny tennis racket-like device, and it's under the heading, A Pure and Germless Kiss. It's a screen on a stick that you're supposed to wash with antiseptic before kissing your sweetheart, spit catcher, I don't know. So even though science wasn't as solid as it is today, exchanging kisses was still widely understood to be risky behavior with regard to the spread of diseases. Do you think that was effective, though? Um, no. No. (laughs) Because I feel like it looks like their noses are, are still touching and then my other funny one that i thought it was um almost exactly 100 years old so august this article was posted in august of 2020 and then the original clip is august of 1918 and the headline says if you must kiss 
kiss via kerchief. And it, it says, otherwise you may get Spanish influenza or it will get you. So uh, the Board of Health tells the amorously inclined. And it goes on to have this, this news article. So I love that they had to issue these warnings. Can you imagine 100 years from now what people are going to say about how we handled this whole thing? No comment. Yeah, right. Exactly. And then they also mentioned that back in the day, just like today, fashionistas are using their masks to accessorize. And that is something that I'm very curious about talking to you about because I know where I stand with the uh, accessorization of the mask. So to kind of put a pin in some of the history of the mask wearing, as we go into modern times, in 2003, we had the very first coronavirus outbreak, and that was SARS. And with the spread of SARS, Southeast Asia began having um, mask wearing as a regular thing. So it was seen not just as a way to protect yourself, but also as a way to show your support and protect your fellow citizens. So the real important thing, is, as I understand it, is that wearing a mask is less about protecting yourself and more about assuming you might be sick and wanting to make sure you don't spread anything. So that that's one thing that I, I can really understand and get behind is that I am more than happy to do my part to make sure I don't accidentally get someone sick. And so that remained quite popular in Asia, even through present times, because it's this idea of if you're feeling under the weather, you just wear a mask. And also there's there's some um, smog conditions and things that make mask wearing popular throughout Asia as well. So I know that pre-COVID times, my job I'm very much in front of people and now, there's handshaking is a very big part of my professional life. I don't know if you knew that, Deborah. I can imagine. Yeah, I'm actually quite proud of my handshake. I'm, I'm a bit of a petite woman, and I, I've been told I have a, a very powerful handshake. Who knows when I'll ever shake another hand? I know that in the past, if I had a little tickle in my throat or I wasn't feeling well, I would always be very aware and even tell people, like, hey, I'm not shaking hands today because I'm not feeling very well. And people, some people would say, oh, gosh, thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. Definitely don't want to sick. And other people would almost be slightly offended. Well, because like, we all kind of, as a society, agreed that this is how we're basically trusting somebody, right? Right, right. Like, you don't have a weapon. I don't have a weapon. Is that the history of handshakes? I think so. Oh, I like that. Something along those lines. Because you're, you're exposing your hand, right? It's not in back of you. Like you're safe and you're, you know, you're welcoming. What do you think is going to replace the handshake moving forward? I don't know. I mean, I, I would like to think that it would still be the handshake at some point in the future. But everyone's doing that like elbow bump, right? Mm, yeah, I've seen elbow bump. I've seen toe tap. I've seen like bowing, if you will. Hmm. Yeah, I'm curious what, what that's going to look like. Actually, I like the bowing more probably more than any of that because it's sort of a sign of respect. Like it's the closest thing to a handshake, in other words. I can get behind that. I will miss giving a good handshake, but I can definitely get behind that. I do think that's going to change, though, honestly. I, I think a lot of odd things are going to change. Yeah. So we've got SARS spreading in 2003, and that was really that first coronavirus. And that's when you start to see modern masks be worn. So what is the modern mask? And that was quite interesting to me because you've got all these histories of like medical masks and things like that, you know, Dr. Wu and then some other people throughout the ages. But what I found quite interesting is that the N95 mask, that mask that was so hard to get in the beginning of all of this, uh, was actually invented by a woman. Uh, her name was Sarah Little Turnbull, and she was a scientist for 3M, the company 3M. And in the 1960s, here I am talking about bras again. I don't know what's wrong with me. I got lingerie on the mind. <laughs> she was working on the first ever molded bra cup in the 60s. So, you know, you go from that like soft style bra to a 
the, the full-on bullet bra right through the 60s. And that's what Sarah Turnbull was working on. And ultimately, over time, that morphed into the mask design. So that's really where you start to see the modern mask take hold into what kind of what we, we see today in a lot of ways. And then we've got these fabric masks that got quite popular just because, you know, as citizens, we couldn't just be taking up all the medical PPE. And it was really in April of 2020 that the CDC, and I think that, that that's one of the issues, is that there was a lot of conflicting information in the beginning about are masks effective? Are they not effective? Who needs one? Who doesn't need one? But kind of by, by the time April was really in full swing, it was like, nope, masks are a thing. You need to be wearing them. This is how we, we slowed the spread of this disease. One day I just walked to this little convenience store in my neighborhood and they said, you need a mask, otherwise we can't sell you anything. Like I, I rarely listen to the news, so I must have missed that day. And so I literally had to buy a mask that they sold, and it was just hanging on the wall. Like It could have been like, I mean, God knows where that mask was, but I was like, I put it on because I wanted, I needed to buy something. Sure. So like it, it, it was really kind of jarring. I didn't expect that. And it, it, yeah, it, it threw me, I'll be honest with you. For me, it was at some point as, as things were starting to unfold, I had to um, I had to go to the grocery store, and so I thought, okay, and I just started out with a bandana. I tied a bandana around my face because I, I thought, I'm not buying a mask. I don't, I'm not investing any time into making one because I just didn't know, like, really, truly. I mean, I think we all thought that this was going to go away in a few weeks or a few months, and so I thought, uh, thankfully for my job, I don't have to leave the house regularly, and I'm just going to tie this bandana around my face. So I was doing that at the grocery store. And then as the summer started to unfold, it became quite clear that this was this was going to be kind of a, a way of life. And uh, I decided, you know what, I'm going to, to make some masks. I'm going to make some masks. And I just grabbed old fabric. I hadn't touched my sewing machine in a very long time. And I found a pattern online. I sewed myself a mask. And I was very inspired by the whole experience. I was pretty proud of myself. And I thought, okay, I'm going to go buy some fabric to make more masks. This is going to be fun. This is going to be part of my my summer routine. So I went to one of our favorite thrift stores down on Milwaukee Avenue. And I was just looking for anything, any big old piece of fabric. And I found this like moo thing. It was so much fabric. And I loved it too because it had a handkerchief attached to it as well. And so I thought, great, even more fabric. And then I was like, oh. I sewed one mask and suddenly I'm Betsy Ross and I'm going to sew everything. <laughs> and I thought, I'm going to make myself a play suit. You know, one of those cute little rompers with a skirt out of the big piece of fabric and then a mask out of the small piece. So here we're talking to a person who has made one mask and has not actually sewn anything from scratch in at least a decade. Uh, and suddenly I'm going to make a multi-piece outfit. So I buy this big piece of fabric. I get it home and I start looking at it closer and I realize that it the previous owner had the same idea as me and they had cut up the back seam. So they'd un undone this back seam, but there was a zipper. And I thought, well, for fun, let me try this thing on. So I put it on. Print is just wild, lots of colors, very abstract. And I zip it up, I put on a belt, and I realize it's like this gorgeous batwing caftan. <laughs> the more I look at the fabric, the more I realize that it's actually vintage. It wasn't just some, you know, 1990s abomination. It was <sighs> like late 70s, early 80s. And then I start playing with the handkerchief, and I'm realizing like, oh, wow, this is a really good outfit. So I ended up keeping it intact and not making any masks out of it. <laughs> good for you. You did the right thing. A little craft fail. But it ended up uh, 
being one of my favorites that I that I wear quite a bit. I, I ultimately just went to Target and bought some plain masks and thought, I'm going to wear these, wash them once a week. So I bought two so I could wash them and then let them dry. And then that was kind of that. I mean, you might be surprised to learn that I don't make masks for myself, nor do I coordinate masks to match my outfit, which is bizarre because in real life, that's all I care about doing is having a completely head-to-toe matching outfit. Really? I just... I never felt like a calling to do it. You know, when it when it first started, I was in the middle of a project. So when people were doing it to try to help people get like the PPE out to, to folks, I couldn't stop the project that I was doing to do that. And and then I sort of I felt like I missed that window. And um, and then I just never felt I never felt inspired to make it for myself or anybody, you know, in terms of like a fashion accessory, um, I guess the like on some level, I didn't want to give any of my energy to this virus. I didn't want to give it to any any more power. I know that probably doesn't make much sense, but I understand that because it's almost like the more you pay attention to something, the more and and I do think that it's important and we definitely should be taking it seriously. But yeah, I mean, you can't let it take up too much of your mental real estate. Thank you. Okay, so you do understand totally because I I didn't feel compelled to do it. I was curious to know how other people, like some friends or acquaintances that I know, I, I wanted to know like how they got interested or in. In either making them or like wearing something a little more fashionable. Mm-hmm. So I ended up once again, Deborah on the street, polling some of my friends to get like just a little bit different take out of my own brain. And actually, um, some of their opinions can almost change my mind a little bit, which we'll, we'll go over that in a little bit. But um, yeah, so I just wear, in other words, I just wear just something you would buy at, you know, Walgreens. I just wear the regular old, are they called surgical masks? I don't know. The even blue know. ones, right? Yeah. I don't leave the house enough. Um, you know, I really, really appreciate all the essential workers and all the people who are out there doing their thing. Um, and I feel like to do my thing, to do my part, I need to stay home as much as possible. So I really haven't invested the time and energy into to making masks. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think we are doing our part. Like we're, I'm barely leaving the, the house. I did it for two straight months in the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And then sort of, you know, inched my way out a little bit you know, in the summer months. But now we're just kind of all back. It's like kind of closing in in my neighborhood. I'm hearing more and more neighbors that are kind of stricken with with it. So, yeah, yeah it's real. It's starting to feel more real at least. Well, Deborah, we're doing our part as non-essential workers. We started a podcast. I didn't bake any sourdough <laughs> bread, but we started a podcast. <laughs> Hopefully, yeah, well, this is our, our, our contribution to entertaining the troops. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, if, if I had to be in the military, I feel like I would definitely go USO. <laughs> I would love to just like flirt with all the soldiers and do <laughs> see what, if I could boost morale that way. Oh, geez. I know. I have thought, I was like, what about tap dancing? Should I learn how to tap dance? But then I realized <laughs> I lived on the second floor and I do like my downstairs neighbors. <laughs> well, Deborah on the spot, what'd you find? <laughs> Deborah on the street. Deborah on the street. Oh, I was thinking Johnny on the spot. <laughs> no, so the first person that I wanted to talk to is Angela. She's a professional seamstress at Steppenwolf Theater in Chicago. Very talented seamstress, in fact. So she's first started making the face masks on a volunteer basis, mm-hmm. you know, when there was a lack of PPE kind of early on in the virus. Now she makes fashion masks and sells them on Etsy. Her shop is called House of Chowski. And what I love about her masks is that she creates them from fabric remnants from actual theatrical productions. So she doesn't really take custom orders because she believes in using what she has. Oh, that's awesome. So it's basically like like remnants and recycled. I've heard it called cabbage before. Have you ever heard anyone call their, their scraps cabbage? I have not, but I love it. Um, no, so sustainability is really important to her. And um, I asked her what she thinks is kind of going to be the future of 
fashion masks and she thinks that they're going to be more like special occasions like people are going to get real into let's say a valentine's day mask or an easter mask or fourth of july you know like there's going to be like themes to it she thinks that people are going to have a little more fun around the holidays regarding masks sounds cute and it's funny um she was mentioned that she saw a lot for christmas this year but i didn't notice any did you i didn't i saw one person wearing a scary clown mask and it really freaked me out (laughs) that was all i got Actually, come to think of it, I did see more for Halloween, more scary masks. But no, I mean this was this was yesterday. I saw the clown mask. It, oh. I was at a, I pulled up to a stoplight and he was on the corner, and I was like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> you know, she actually had a couple more thoughts that I mean, we actually talked for quite a while. She had some really interesting thoughts. She reminded me of how. Like people were kind of almost making you feel guilty if you didn't make masks. Like, I don't know if you know this, but a lot of my friends were like sending me patterns or like they're, like everyone that I knew practically, are you going to start making masks? Because I know that I sew for a living. Mm-hmm. And it just, it really was, it felt like a bit of a, like a peer pressure to it. So she reminded me, but I kind of forgot about that. But she also said that like some of the, you know, the other people that she works with that sew for a living c- kind of made it, made a note that it's like, you know, a lot of people think that if you're able to sew, it's almost like you should be able to do it for free. Like, you know, especially like to a family member, like a friend, like, oh, hem these pants for me or, you know, take in my skirt. Like, oh, it'll just take a few minutes. Or they think it's like a simple job. Like anyone who doesn't sew, they think it's like this real simple thing. And so a lot of times people don't know how to put like a monetary value on this gift that that the seamstresses have. Mm -hmm. I guess a lot of her acquaintances were sort of like, wow, we went from this thing that no one wants to to pay us for to like now we're essentially Essential. Some seamstresses were kind of struggling with that fact. So I just thought that was interesting. I feel like that happens too, like with graphic design stuff. Like people are like, well, it'll only take you a minute. And it's like, well, it only takes me a minute because I have 15 years of experience doing it. Thank you. We're asked to give away a lot of our expertise and our whatnot. There are times where I, I definitely want to do that kind of work for free for my friends to help them. But then there are other times where I feel like there's a big difference between when I legitimately want to give it away versus when someone's like asking for it or I hate when people want to trade. Yeah. It has for a trade it has to be absolutely worth it and it sometimes doesn't always feel worth it. Right. But this is definitely a great episode topic for another time. Yeah. Interesting. So this kind of makes me think about just accessorizing in general. I know that you never really leave the, the house without a little something to adorn your head. Um, what about all your, your gals in Chicago who wear hats? Are they starting to get matchy with the face masks? And honestly, they were like one of the first people that I wanted to, to ask because it's first of all, it's not something... Like, I don't know that answer yet because no one's really, it's not something you say, so what are you wearing on your face these days? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I wanted to pull like, a, you know, three or four of my hat wearing friends. And actually, they all seem to be more or less on the same page in that they're doubling up. So they're wearing both protective masks. So like the three plies, I'm calling it a surgical mask and the N95. Um, So they wear that to feel safe. But then on top of that, they're wearing something pretty like usually to coordinate with their their hats, you know, with their either their coats is wintertime now or their hats. So like, I'm like, excellent. You guys did not fail me. Like, that's kind of what I was hoping for. But I didn't know for sure if that's what they were doing. That's so funny. It kind of reminds me of like a slip, like a slip that you would wear under your dress (laughs) to have the boring surgical mask and then the fun one on top. Oh, I see. Or, you know, those like armpit guard things that people yeah. wear to keep their deodorant from ruining their vintage clothes. Yes, dress shields. Dress shields. Yeah, that's what they're called. Yeah. I love when I find those in a vintage dress. It's so awesome. I'm surprised people don't do that more often. To be quite honest, I don't know a lot about them, but I, I wonder if people are going to start doing things 
like under their masks. Like this is uh, work with me here. But you know how like people are really into lip fillers and injections and stuff. Mm -hmm. What if there's some sort of device that becomes popular to make your lips look fuller, like they're pushing out of your mask, like a shoulder (laughs) pad for your mask? (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Right. Could could that be a thing? Like falsies for your lips? Can we make it a thing? Can you make it a thing? Oh, my gosh. I, um, I'm i just trying to figure out how to wear a lipstick under a mask, which is interesting. So we we pose that on our Instagram. So um, if you don't follow us on Instagram, at Very Vintage Podcast, I made a post a few weeks back. I, I was moaning about the fact that I can't really wear lipstick. It's, it's just it gets all over your face. It kind of feels a little foolish. So just a little backstory here. Last year, so in 2019, I got Invisalign. It was something I'd been wanting to do for a long time. And it, it happened while Deborah was staying with me. You were there for, for part of it. And so I get the Invisalign. If anyone tells you that it doesn't hurt, they're lying. It definitely is painful. But what they don't tell you is that you can't wear lipstick while you have Invisalign. You're taking them in and out of your mouth all day to eat, to drink, to have a cup of coffee. And so if you've got lipstick on, now it's on your face and it's on your hands. So I basically didn't get to wear lipstick for almost a year. That To me, that was like your biggest complaint. That's what it seemed to bother you mo- the most. Well, I think it's because I just I didn't realize it going in. And so I finally, you know, I get get the teeth where they need to be, where I'm, I'm happy with them. Now everything's going well. I feel confident. Put the red lipstick back on. I get to wear it for what, like a month and a half before now i am got to wear a mask every time I leave the house. That's such a bummer. So I'm whining on Instagram. I posted this picture of an old uh, lipstick ad and we got some really interesting comments. So I'm going to read a few here. So from user MidModFlare, she says that she has success wearing a mask Uh, And what she does is she wears one of those blue paper masks, like you mentioned, to keep everything dry. And then she puts her actual mask over it. So a lot like the hat ladies. Uh, I've heard people using those those lipsticks that are almost like that you have to take off with olive oil or something like that. Those like stain. Yeah. Lip stains. Other people mentioned something called a silicone face mask bracket. So I have seen like devices and things that you can put on to make the mask stand up further from your face. I thought mm-hmm. about wearing like one of those domed painter's masks under so that it doesn't touch my mouth. But I'm going to be really curious to see what that looks like moving forward. Uh, and some people just say they don't care and they're just willing to deal with the smudges or then there are people like me. I just I just go without. Yeah, I I, I really haven't worn lipstick since this started. Um unless I'm taking a picture or something. In a weird way, it's like almost freeing, you know, once, because I was such a lipstick person. I mean, I would never feel confident not having lipstick on, but I feel like so much has changed. Like, I just feel like I'm just truly myself. Like a lot of my ego's gone and a lot of my, like what I thought was insecurity or like a, I'd have to have some, you know, bare minimum of makeup or whatever. Like all that's, you know, out the window now. It's it kind of freeing in the weirdest way. I could see that. Yeah, I definitely leave the house wearing things uh, clothing wise that I might not have before because I feel like I've got, I've got a mask on. Who's even going to recognize me? But shockingly, people do. I feel like I bump <laughs> into people way more than I, I think I would. It is interesting to, to see but I am curious as time goes on, masks are going to be this necessity for quite some time, but then they're almost going to be an accessory. So what like, what are the fashion implications of masks? I'm curious too. Um, I mean, so I, again, I had to ask people like, what do you think? What do you, what's going to, what do you see moving forward? One of the people that I wanted to talk to is um, Vivi Von Welt, who is a body positive model. And she really goes all out when it comes to her fashion mask wearing. Mm-hmm. 
And she does it in a way that helps support small business, um, which I think is amazing because I consider myself a small business. You most certainly are. <laughs> so the way she f- she phrased it to me was she, for her to get over that blah feeling when wearing a mask, she has actually a two-step process to achieve like her fabulousness. So first she orders vintage or themed fabric from an Etsy seller. Then she takes it to her seamstress who then creates a mask, adding beading or embroidery or, you know, she kind of like zhuzhes it up a little bit. Mm. Um, so I just think it's really brilliant. Like this way, two small businesses benefit from her patronage, basically. And I just, I really appreciate that. Well, I know we talk a lot primarily because it's our wheelhouse and our favorite about uh, women's fashion, but I do know that you touch base with one of the most fashionable men that you know. Yes, I had to. That would be William. <laughs> yeah, it was. I asked him, I was curious to know if it was important to him that his masks look good. So he said in the beginning, it was about fashion. And he says now it's more important that he stays healthy. He wears a beard, so he's also concerned that his beard stays healthy, which is something that I would not have even considered. But he says that his beard gets moist from being in the mask. And I guess it's just something you have to consider. And he it's funny because he says that he feels like the manufacturer, the mask manufacturers are not taking beard wearers into consideration, which is very, very interesting. So I asked him, what what is he wearing? What are his favorites? And he said he likes Kim Kardashian's. I guess she's got a brand called Skim. It's the They're made out of the same fabric as the underwear that she makes. Oh, okay, sure. Yeah, so I, apparently he likes them because it stretches to the point where it can kind of include his beard. I actually looked them up because I was curious. And what I like about them is I've not tried them, but I like the concept that they come in five different skin tones. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm not that familiar with her brand. Yeah, I wasn't either. But I love the concept of just wearing just sort of a, a neutral colored face mask so that it doesn't like the I actually that actually was exciting for me because if I'm wearing, you know, if I want to get the keep the attention on my headpiece or whatever I'm wearing on the top of my head, I just want something that just blends into my face. So um so the fact that like she's already got like five different color skin tones, I just thought that was pretty clever. That that definitely makes me want to go look up. I haven't even thought of a skin toned. That's why I went black, just black, neutral. But, you know, sometimes black doesn't always go with your outfit. So I do love the idea of a skin tone. Yeah. I do have a question for you, though. So mm-hmm. with the mask, I know that a really tough thing for people to reconcile is it so much about emoting and, and human interaction, even silent human interaction is smiling, grimacing, face things, and expressing yourself. So do you find either you've noticed it or people are asking you that people are looking for other ways to express themselves, like perhaps through headwear? That's a good question. I noticed that people are noticing my headwear more often than they did before, which I find very fascinating. I just think this is where like the smize, smiling with your eyes. I think this is where this is what we have to, you know, to express ourselves. We have to kind of work with what we have. Another thing I've noticed is people have been complimenting my eyes more now than they ever have because it's just so where eyes are the eyes are main like the main focus at this point don't you think i agree with that and i also just had a moment the delicious irony of me spending all that money on my teeth only to wear a mask all the time oh god it just <laughs> seems like torture it's it's fine but I, yeah i do find that i i do spend a little bit more time making sure i have my eye makeup done so like in the past i might just throw on mascara and leave but now i'll be like oh maybe a little eyeliner too right well, so, I mean, I know this This is definitely in your wheelhouse. What about weddings? I mean, I know some people are having small weddings and things like that. And as things start to resume, I mean, are people starting to coordinate? Are there whole, like, 
you know, everyone at the wedding gets a. So in in Judaism, it you, you know the yarmulkes, the little hats that that you wear. Are you are you you're familiar with the little skull mm-hmm. cap? Uh, yes, I am. Yeah, yeah. So the yarmulkes are interesting because when you have a wedding or a bar mitzvah or a family event, it's sort of a, a tradition in most families that you get a yarmulke made, especially at a bar mitzvah. Right, the bar bat mitzvah, uh, the child having the ceremony picks out a color. I know, of course, I picked out shiny gold ones for mine, like, and then you. Uh, on the inside, you imprint the name of whoever's getting bar bat mitzvah or whoever's getting married and the date. And it's kind of a fun family tradition. You know, back when we used to gather for Passover or things, we would pass around the basket of all of these yarmulkes and pull them out. And, oh, who did you get? It was this person's wedding in 1973. It was this bar mitzvah in 2006. And so I wonder, are our masks going to go that way? I think so. I mean, mm-hmm. with, with this, I wanted to kind of reach out to some some professionals, you know, so one of the people that I reached out to is Holly Gray. She's the owner of Anything But Gray Events. And honestly, she's one of the most colorful gals that I know. It's really kind of her trademark. She says she's ready for what she considers to be the new normal in weddings, which she's basically telling me that the weddings in 2021 and beyond will likely focus more on quality than quantity. So in other words, limiting the size of the weddings to 50 people, or in some cases, even much less than that, but truly valuing the guests that are present, kind of like a going back to basics thing. Each member of her team will be required to wear a mask for t- for some time to come. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to ask her personal philosophy just in regarding face masks. And actually, she's the one person that kind of turned my mindset a little bit. So her personal philosophy regarding face masks is that she prefers to focus on the fun element of having one more accessory to pair with an outfit. So like kind of almost like a scarf or sunglasses. Like in other words, not focusing on the reason we have to wear it, but more like, oh, this is one more fun thing I get to do. And so she really does enjoy color coordinating and she gets really playful with her masks. And I don't know, that was, it kind of inspired me. I think once once it becomes time where the world is opening back up and I am leaving more, especially leaving for work and things like that, like perhaps I will start caring a little bit more about how that incorporates into my outfit. Uh, I do also love the idea of 1960s space fashion coming back. I don't, <laughs> I'm really pushing for it. I haven't seen anything, but you know, with the, with the show Queen's Gambit and everyone's loving the 1960s right now, I just I love all those those like helmets with the little vinyl clear, um, you know, those like plush helmets and things like that. And there's this uh, store on Etsy that sells these really cool futuristic zip up head coverings that I think would be just so fun to wear as opposed to a visor or something like that. So I right. I think that down the road, we'll definitely do like a top tips type episode uh, when things do start opening back up. And we really have to think about how to incorporate masks into our day to day, not just for the essential workers who are going out now, but for everyday people like you and me. All right. For, so kind of getting back to bridal, though, and mm-hmm. the fu- you know, the future of bridal, I, I ended up talking with three bridal salons that I that actually carry my line of wedding veils. So it's Ultimate Bride in Chicago, Kareen's Bridal in Washington, D.C., and Lily Bridal in Tarzana. Three different parts of the country, but they're all kind of doing more or less the same thing, which I thought was interesting. They're all offering custom face masks to, to match the bride's gown. Oh, like same fabric and everything? Exactly. Like it's oh, definitely wow. possible for masks to be made out of the same or similar fabric as the bride's dress. Often even like just a tiny bit of hem scraps can be used to kind of pick up the same detail on the gown. It's basically what I've been doing for years when I create custom headpieces, but maybe it's not something that like brides know is 
is possible, but it's definitely possible. And it's such a great way to have like this kind of overall uniform look. They're also offering just kind of simple, uh, very understated silk or cotton face masks. Um, I actually kind of thought it was cute. They had some like for the groom, like the groom has to get something too, right? So right. he'll just like, there'll be like a bride and groom face mask, or there's even like mother of the bride or mother of the groom face mask. So I think people are just going to maybe try to have a little more fun with it. Like it's going to be a necessity, but we have to just like look for the elements of fun. Yeah, exactly. Like focus on what's good and not what's bad. The matching makes me think about uh, Dita Von Teese, who's, you know, the, the modern vintage gal right she has uh, all these the gorgeous lingerie items and things like that and her uh, two of her most popular lingerie styles they started making masks out of the fabric and they're really stunningly beautiful every time she posts on social media that they're in stock they almost immediately sell out uh, I, I like them I, I think they're really really pretty like they look great with like a fit and flare black dress but I, I don't think I'd be able to get my hands on one anytime soon so maybe when I get around to making one it, it's interesting because you and I were talking about how intimate the idea of a face mask can be it really is that's one thing that Angela kind of pointed out to me you know I guess you make some that you know are, are lacy and you know pretty delicate and she's the one that kind of helped me to the concept of of it almost being like underwear that you're wearing on your face, which I just thought was a funny way of thinking about. You're right. It's extremely personal. It's, it's extremely intimate. And I, I, we all have like, we're all going to have like a take on it, right? Well, it's, I mean, would you let someone borrow your mask? No, of course not. Right. But you'd let somebody borrow a hat. I would. And I have. Yes, I, I have worn them. Uh, I think that, <laughs> that, that that's really what it comes down to, right? And I think that's why it feels so intimate and so personal. And, and it's like right up against your mouth. And um, you know, there's this additional piece to this emotional component of this is protecting the people around me and, and protecting me. Yeah, I, I like the idea of coming, you know, getting back to the Spanish influenza is like more more people were just in solidarity. And I like that concept is mm-hmm. it's like it's a community. It's like a statement of like pulling together as a community, like whether we kind of admit it or not, that's what it is. Yeah, it definitely is a show of support because I, I know that I, I have some friends who are in the medical field and I want them to know that I'm doing – if they ask me to even do something really silly, right, um, as long as I wasn't hurting anyone or hurting myself, I would do whatever I needed to make their jobs easier. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of 1918, it would not be a very vintage podcast if we didn't bring up our favorite person. <laughs> um, so while I was researching – I was looking into articles just about the Spanish flu and how it was impacting the world and the ripple effects. And I found this absolutely fascinating article about the way that the Spanish flu impacted the movie industry. And there was a line in the article about Rudolph Valentino. Spill. Spill the details. Mm, Yes. So our boy Rudy, he, uh, as the Spanish flu was starting to spread all throughout the United States and L.A. being a hotspot, he ran off to San Francisco to try to get away from it. And unfortunately, he still ended up contracting it. And he did. He beat it, obviously. You know, he was around to make his 1921 movie, The Sheik. But this article kind of has a little line at the end about some of these these guys, these famous actors who got Spanish flu and recovered. Well, what would have happened to the American movie industry if they would have died? All these classics would have never been made. Yeah, what a collapse. You were mentioning that he was being kind of cocky about it. How so? He was, yeah. So he he initially just didn't think it was that big of a deal. And then he got scared and, and left town, but ended up catching it anyway. Oh. <laughs> it's kind of fascinating, just the ripple effects. Uh, and I, I think that 
thankfully, with where our modern science and medicine is, you know, as as much as the devastation is, is quite awful, and unfortunately, there's probably a stump, a lot left to come. But you know, people who get this are recovering um, more so than than what was going on a hundred years ago. This is where we are lucky to be in this time period. Very much wonderful. So, Deborah, when you're not busy researching for the podcast or interviewing friends and acquaintances, where can we find you? You can find me at millinaryetc.com, my website, and on Facebook, also millinaryetc, and on Instagram, Deborah Shirley 1111. And you can find me, Rachel Manning, our Very Vintage Podcast, Instagram at Very Vintage Podcast. You can also contact us directly through our website, VeryVintagePodcast.com. So remember, subscribe, rate, review, and tell your friends about Very Vintage Podcast. Thanks for listening.